25th of 2020, George Floyd died. Former police officer Derek Chauvin was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison for his death. This event became a catalyst in America and causing us to take a look deep inside and identify our needs. Discrimination is identified, defined, described in Wikipedia this way. Discrimination is the act of making unjustified distinctions between people based on the groups, classes, or other categories to which they belong. People may be discriminated in on the basis of race, gender, age, religion, disability, or sexual orientation, as well as other categories. Discrimination uh, occurs when individuals or groups are unfairly treated in a way which is worse than other people are treated on the basis of their actual or perceived membership in certain groups or social categories. Now, we can all agree that racism, prejudice, discrimination is appalling and awful, but it has been going on since the beginning of time. And this morning, therefore, I want to tell you about a guy who had a prejudice issue. He was a prophet of God. He was happy as a clam living his upper crust, snooty world of being blessed among the religious, uh, religious pseudo people of God. He had no desire to confront his prejudice. He has no desire to change his behavior. But God had different ideas for him. His name is Jonah. And though his book is relatively brief, everybody knows his name. Christians and non-Christians alike know his story. So let me take a minute to introduce you to this guy named Jonah, the called prophet of God. He was the son of a guy named Amittai. He came from an area called Gath Hefner, which is in the area of Nazareth. So it makes Jonah one of the few prophets ever to come out of Israel, the northern kingdom. Remember, uh, after Solomon, the United Kingdom split. The ten north tribes of Israel and the two southern tribes of Judah. Well, Jonah came from the upper area of Israel. During Jonah's years there, Israel was much more of a political nation than a spiritual one. They had become very materialistic, uh, maintaining this pseudo-relationship with God based upon a system of, uh, of rituals and customs and ceremonies of which Jonah participated. He was, again, a prophet of God. 
Jonah, in a word, had a cush deal going on. It was a gravy-trained position. He knew if he kept his head down and his mouth shut, caused no problems, he would be good. Just being the prophet in an unspiritual world, living out his influence and his comfortable life. Until God called him to go to Nineveh. We all know what Jonah did. His story is pervasive. When God said, arise and go to Nineveh, Jonah went out the back door. He ran to the sea, to an area called Joppa. And he got on a big boat headed for Tarshish. But as the story goes, in route between the port of Joppa and Tarshish, great winds began to blow, rocking the boat. In fact, it got so bad that the crew on board feared for their life. The guys on board, the staff on board, the sailors on board begin calling out to their gods, whoever they may be, that their gods might hear and might rescue them and save their lives facing this storm at the sea. As these men are crying out to their gods, the captain goes below and gets Jonah, explains what's happening and says, you come up and you begin to cry out to your God. They drew lots as to whose God called the storm. Guess who drew the short straw? It was Jonah. Jonah admitted to everything. He admitted his God was the supreme creator of all, and he admitted that he was on the run from him. That what they needed to do was to pick him up and chunk him in the sea, which they did. Not long thereafter, a great fish swallowed up Jonah, and from the belly of the whale, Jonah cried out unto God. Listen in chapter 2 of the book of Jonah, verses 1 through 10. Did Jonah pray to the Lord his God from inside the fish? And he said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. So from the fish, Jonah is crying out, I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath the, your uh, wild and stormy waves. But then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death, 
As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods and turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And boom, the fish spit him out on dry land. Verse 10, the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Jonah, having learned his lesson, headed toward Nineveh. And he preached God's judgment upon that great city. And we are told that the people from the king down repented. Now, if this story weren't crazy enough in the beginning, it gets bizarre now. Because Jonah got angry at God for relenting his judgment upon the Ninevites. Jonah cried out to God in anger with his fist raised in the air, why did you not bring the judgment I promised upon these people? Jonah was so angry about it, so sullen and brooding and surly. He goes to a spot outside of the city. He's promised hellfire and judgment upon them. And because they repented, God held back. So Jonah's kicking rocks and cans down the street. And makes his way outside of the city and he sits down. The story is <clears throat> that God caused a plant to grow over Jonah's head to shade him from the sun, and that pleased Jonah. But then a worm showed up and ate the plant, causing the sun to beat down on Jonah's head. And Jonah, at this point, becomes unhinged. We're watching the guy fall apart before our eyes because of his hatred toward a people's group and his frustration with Almighty God of showing mercy to the people he hates. In verses 9 through 11... Of Jonah 4, God engages Jonah in a conversation. As Jonah sits there outside of the city, this plant has now been eaten away. He's mad. He's hurt. His hatred is foaming, uh, bringing uh, thoughts to his mind and anger to his heart, and he says, God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because that plant died? 
Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. That's how mad I am. That's, that's how angry I am that the plant is gone. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord said to him, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did not one thing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Should I not feel sorry for such a great city? God was posing this contrast. Jonah, you are so ticked off about this plant. Seriously? Angry enough to die. And on the flip side, there's 120,000 souls in that city that were just spared life out of my grace. We have one unhappy prophet of God. His thinking has become so twisted, his theology so broken, that he sits outside of the city of Nineveh, miserable, frustrated, angry at God and the world, wishing to die. Now, the obvious question for us is, why? Why? This prophet of God didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. God forces his hand and places him where he's called him to be. Then when God relents on the judgment and Jonah walks outside of town and he has this plant experience, we don't understand that. That really doesn't make a lot of sense to us. So what's the deal? Why would a man of God, a prophet of God, react in that way? What was so wrong with Nineveh that Jonah couldn't stand to go in the first place and couldn't stand to see God relent his judgment? What was so bad about Nineveh? Well, it turns out quite a bit. Nahum, another prophet of God, later prophesies about this country of Assyria and the city of Nineveh in Nahum 1.14. And this is what the Lord says concerning the Assyrians in Nineveh. You will have no more children to carry on your name. I will destroy all the idols in the temples of your gods. I am preparing a grave for you because you are despicable. Nahum 1.14 Another prophet of God, Zephaniah. In Zephaniah chapter 2, 
verses 13 through 15. And the Lord will strike the lands of the north with his fist, destroying the land of Assyria. He will make its great capital, Nineveh, a desolate wasteland, parched like a desert. The proud city will become a pasture for flocks and herds, and all sorts of wild animals will settle there. The desert owl and the screech owl will roost in its ruined columns, their calls echoing through gaping windows. Rubble will block the doorways, and the cedar paneling will be exposed to the weather. This is the boisterous city, once so secure, saying, I am the greatest, it boasted. No other city can compare with me. But look, look how it has become an utter ruin, a haven for wild animals. Everyone passing by will laugh in derision and shake a defiant fist. Well, it turns out there's a lot wrong with Nineveh. Las Vegas wasn't the first sin city. Nineveh was hated by the people of God. The Assyrians were hated by the people of God because the Assyrians were a brutal, forceful people who went in in 72. 722 B.C. and destroyed Israel. You've heard of the lost ten tribes. Again, that's who they are, were. It wasn't long until when Assyria went up and, and captured Israel and carried them off and destroyed Israel that they attacked Judah as well. The story is recorded in Isaiah 37. Assyria has conquered Israel, and they're now knocking on the door of Judah. They're camped around Judah. <clears throat> they are going to start their military action the next morning. An angel of God is sent from heaven and he kills 185,000 of their warriors. And Assyria packs up their bags and heads back home. It wasn't too much longer after this that the king of, the, of Assyria, who lived in Nineveh, was worshiping one of his, his own gods when his son came in and killed him to take over the throne. Assyria lasted about another hundred years, and they were no more. So it looks like maybe Jonah is not the pampered prophet we thought him to be. Maybe he's not the cockeyed dude that it seems to be. Nineveh had issues. Nineveh had problems. 
But despite these God's words from his prophets about Assyria, despite the fact that God sent his death angel into their camp and destroyed 185,000 of them, Despite the fact that God brought an end to that once great nation, God still loved and grieved for these people. That's what's hard to grasp. Despite the paganism and their hatred of God and the people of God, the Father still loved them. I can't say that without thinking while we were yet sinners Christ died for us very quickly three insights or takeaways from Jonah's story number one we may have an inward dislike, distaste, or even hatred for another person. We may not like the way they look. We may not like the way they talk, the way they dress, or even the way they smell. We may even feel like we have genuine, solid Valid reasons for our prejudice against them. Jonah felt that. Jonah, it wasn't just Jonah that didn't want to go to Nineveh. None of the prophets wanted to go to Nineveh. And we may feel like we have sound reasons for our prejudice against them. But the fact is, none of that matters. Because despite a language difference, a color difference, a dress difference, a smell difference, the Father doesn't feel the way we do. Despite the fact that we feel, we may feel we have legitimate reasons. We are wrong. And the Father doesn't feel that way. It may even be that God will raise you up to go and minister in Jesus' name to your Nineveh. Your Nineveh may sit across the table from you. Your Nineveh may be a pocket in the back. Your Nineveh may live across the street. And God may raise you up to go to your Nineveh. And if you choose not to go, stay away from the ocean and all marine animals 
I promise nothing.